This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. Questions like, why does everyone love to Haiti Dinah? How does Minnesota have so many Fortune 500 companies? What's the story behind Minnesota Nice? We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Today we're delving into the topic the entire world is talking about, coronavirus. This pandemic has rapidly changed daily life in Minnesota. Many readers have been sending us questions, and thankfully, we were able to grab our newsroom's top health reporters, Pulitzer Prize winners Jeremy Olson and Glenn Howitt, to walk us through the answers. Now, I normally try to keep these episodes under 15 minutes, but this one ran a bit over since there was a lot to talk about. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Good to be here. And so you all cover healthcare normally, and so you have been our lead reporters on this story. So let's just start on coronavirus in general. Like when we talk about the word coronavirus, what is a coronavirus? Because there's some terminology here we see in articles, novel coronavirus and things like that. But what is a coronavirus itself? Well, coronavirus is a family of viruses, and in honesty, it, it causes many of the common colds every year, some of these coronaviruses. But this particular coronavirus emerged in China in December, perhaps late November, in Wuhan, and, and it believed it originated in an animal of some kind and jumped across into humans. That's why it's a new version of coronavirus that we haven't seen before. And that's why this one's problematic, because we don't have a vaccine against this new virus, and we don't have specific treatments against it yet. Okay. And in a lot of these stories, we see a novel coronavirus case. What is that word signifying? And maybe you just alluded to it. Just means that it's new. Exactly. It's a virus we haven't seen before in humans. Okay. And then there's coronavirus and COVID-19. I think 19 stands for 2019. But what is the distinction between those two things? COVID-19 is the illness. It's the fever and the respiratory symptoms you experience upon infection with this particular novel coronavirus. Okay. And some people may have heard this a million times by now, but how is this generally contracted from person to person? There's maybe ways that it is more likely than others to be contracted, right? Right. They believe that it it primarily spreads these droplets when you sneeze or cough. Somebody who's infected, you expel, sounds gross to say, but you expel little water droplets full of things and somebody else breathes it in and then they can become infected that way. Okay. That's the primary route of transmission, but there also is concern about surfaces, everything from elevator buttons to handrails to all the millions of things that get touched every day mm-hmm. uh, in, in the general public. There is some concern that if you touch something and then you later touch your eyes or your nose or your mouth, you can contract it that way. Okay. And does it have kind of a half-life on doorknobs and things like that? There's, there's been some studies that have tried to measure how long it lives. So like on cardboard, supposedly it, it remains for 24 hours. But it really varies based on the environmental conditions, such as temperature and humidity and 
how it got touched, you know, what was deposited on right. the surface. Okay. So some of the symptoms are like the flu. And, and so what's sort of complicated here is that we're in, we're still in flu season. So there's some maybe confusion about which one you have if you're coming down with some symptoms. Are there symptoms that are unique to coronavirus that would be sort of warning signs that this is not a typical flu if you do get some symptoms? Well, uh, the symptoms are very comparable with coronavirus, with COVID-19. We've been told that a dry cough is a characteristic, perhaps less of a productive cough, perhaps less runny nose and more of a dry cough. But that's not absolute. There's um, been cases with those symptoms as well. The serious cases are the ones where fluid just builds up in the lungs and people struggle to breathe. And that results in pneumonia and the need for intensive care in hospitals. The positive news, uh, if you can call it that, is that about 80%, maybe even 85% of people suffer mild or no symptoms upon infection. So these uh, more severe pneumonia and respiratory problems are in a minority of cases. Mm -hmm. I read a story in late February that was quoting an expert saying that 40 to 70% of the world's population could get this at some point. Should we just be prepared that at one point we may get it, but it's all a matter of sort of spreading out when that happens among the population? At this point, it's too early to tell. I mean, but there are people who are saying this could be like the flu, mm -hmm. which comes back every year and really lives throughout the world all year long because it's always fall or winter somewhere. But it's too early to tell. In 2003, we had another coronavirus, which was known as SARS. And at that time, it didn't have the same kind of impact that COVID-19 is having right now. But at that time, it was the novel coronavirus and people didn't know where it was going to go. It never really took hold too much in the in the United States, but that epidemic ended in like six months, mm -hmm. and it really hasn't reappeared since. Okay. All right. You know, this is Curious Minnesota, and we really appreciate our reader questions here. So we have a question here from Alejandro, and he's asking a question that a lot of people have been asking, and I'll, we'll just hear it right now. Hi, my name is Alejandro, and I'd like to know, where should I go if I think I have the coronavirus? Right now, health officials will tell you if these are symptoms you can manage on your own, uh, you should manage them at home. Treat this at, like you would any other illness. If you had flu last year and, you, and it was sim mild symptoms, you could handle it at home. You should stay at home. That's partly for you. It's partly to protect the healthcare system just in case you're bringing, the, even with your mild symptoms, you could be bringing the infection into a healthcare environment and potentially spreading it to others. But of course, it's the same, the same thing goes. If you have symptoms that you can't manage on your own, that's the time to be going into a clinic or into a hospital for care. They do ask now that you call ahead so they can prepare with appropriate masks and gowns and protections they can have their nurses and other providers take to prevent the spread of infection. But Jeremy, you had a story recently about how now there's kind of this a bit of a squeeze on the number of tests that are available, right? So can you talk a bit about that and how that's sort of evolved? Yes. Yeah, so the important thing for patients and in terms of treatment is that a positive or negative test with what we know now wouldn't change the treatment guidance you would receive with mild symptoms. It would still be stay at home, treat yourself as you normally would with any other flu or respiratory symptoms. A test wouldn't change that. Where we lose as a state with limited testing is that we can't scout for where the virus is going, where it's growing quickly in certain communities. If we had that information, we could bulk those clinics, those hospitals up in those regions, knowing that they needed to prepare for an influx of cases. We don't have that. But again, for as far as a patient perspective right now, a positive or negative test for a mild case really isn't going to make a difference. 
Okay. And so do we know sort of approximately what the recovery time is on the virus? It really depends on how serious your case is. Again, 80 to 85 percent of these are mild. So it's thought to run its course in about a week. But if you get the complications, especially pneumonia, and you end up in the hospital and on a ventilator, that could go several weeks And this is a good time to also point out the health department recommendation. If you are sick, positive or negative test with fever and respiratory symptoms, they ask you to stay home for seven days, quarantine yourself so you protect others, even in your own household, for seven days after the onset of symptoms or for three days after uh, your fever has disappeared and that's fever without medication. So once your fever has gone away, you're not medicated, then you'd be, your quarantine would be over. But again, it's whichever period is longer, seven days after symptom onset or three days after your fever's gone away. Okay. So we had another question from a reader here, and this is from Laura P. Hi, this is Laura P. from St. Paul, Minnesota. My question is, if you were to catch the virus and recover from it, is it possible for you to catch it again? So, Glenn, I mean, do we have any guidance on that right now? Well, for this one, they looked at other coronaviruses and your experience with that. In, In some cases, it is possible. But it's important to remember that there's a lot of factors there. Viruses tend to mutate. So if you get sick, you could catch a mutated form that you're not immune to. But the other issue is all of our immune systems are unique and they're shaped based on our history of interaction with viruses and other pathogens. So some people are better able to fight things off than others. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, what, when you recover, are you basically back to normal or do we expect people that will have long-term impacts from having had this disease? The concern in some cases, in severe cases where you have the infection really hitting the lungs hard, when you have fluid buildup, when you, ha- when you have pneumonia, is that there could be scarring in the lungs so that when someone in a severe case recovers, they could still have long-term issues with their breath, with their, with their oxygen intake and output. They're still studying. I mean, we don't know the long-term impacts because this has been such a new phenomena. That is one concern. But I'd say for the mild cases, really people view this as a flu-type situation where after you recover, you recover. But once you have pneumonia, you're more prone to getting pneumonia again. Okay. And that just because of what it does to your lungs? Right. So I've had pneumonia twice. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So I have to watch out for that. Okay. And so speaking of the flu, I mean, I feel like we've had a lot of comparisons being made between this and the flu. Statistically, I've seen numbers thrown out there, but as far as the fatality factor, the deadliness factor, I mean, how do we rank this versus the flu or versus other things, but the flu in particular? Because we know that people do die of the flu flu every year, many people. Yes. Most researchers agree that COVID-19 is more fatal than the flu. The flu is fatal, kills tens of thousands of Americans every year. The estimates on COVID-19 mortality is one to two and a half to three percent. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's sort of leading the the fight against COVID-19, he says that COVID-19 is 10 times more deadly than the flu. Wow. So that's many, many magnitudes higher. Right. Uh, The flu mortality is about 0.1 percent. And then it's also important, it varies by age Mm -hmm. and uh, underlying 
borderline health status. Right. So elderly are more susceptible as are people who have diabetes or mm-hmm. heart disease or asthma or other kind of chronic condition. Okay. And we had another reader ask uh, one of our reporters, actually, they were a grandparent. And, you know, we have all these closures going on and sort of child care is a big concern for a lot of people. If you're a grandparent and you're in a position where maybe you might have to care for a child, is that a bad idea potentially? And, and we know that children, I think, are not showing the symptoms at the rate other people are, right? Is that correct? Yeah, there there are concerns. I mean, first of all, if the child or the grandparent has any symptoms, they, they can't have that level of interaction until they're healthy. I mean, sick people are supposed to stay home and away from others no matter what. Now, in, you know, there are practical realities. And in a child care situation like that, the grandparent and child could still practice social distancing as much as possible. I mean, you know, grandparent and child, there's going to be a hug once in a while, but they can still communicate with each other at a, a distance of six feet apart, which is the recommended distance for social distancing because of the fear of how far you can sneeze or cough a droplet in the air. That That's about the level of distance that people uh, think that those potentially infectious droplets could travel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, you know, there there is the practical reality of life. There are still precautions you can take within those situations. Okay. And there's something interesting. It's it's not so much about children, but in, in China, most of the cases were in older people. But in Europe, they're seeing more cases in younger people, not necessarily children, but people in their 20s and 30s. Okay. So, again, we're just four months into this, and we are still learning so much. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, talking about that timeline, I think a lot of people are wondering, well, how long are we going to be in this state of home isolation and things like that? Maybe is it all just uncertain? at this point? Or or should people be gearing up for uh, several months of this? Or, I mean, do we have any idea? Well, I just read a federal report this morning suggesting that the presence of this virus could be a problem for as much as 18 months in the uh, most severe scenario. And then there was a raging debate on Twitter based on that report on how long people could put up with these uh, social distancing and and home isolation protocols. But uh, on the other hand, I think, you know, government officials right now are looking at at a month at a time. I mean, the the restrictions in, in Minnesota and you know, about the end of March, and then you know, health officials will reassess how much progress we've made by our isolation and by our protections, and whether we can kind of, you know, month to month, whether these restrictions can be loosened. Okay. So <clears throat> we're sitting here in a studio. We have some disinfecting wipes, and we have some hand sanitizer in front of us. These are very uh, hot commodities these days. Thankfully, we have some available. People are doing all sorts of things. I was in an airport. People are wearing, they were wearing masks, and people were wearing gloves. Of the things that you're seeing people do, are there some that don't make a ton of sense or some that are really logical to be doing? Obviously, hand sanitizer and disinfecting seems logical, but what are maybe some things that maybe they're not going to be completely helpful? Masks. Okay. (laughs) If if you're not sick, you don't need a mask. In fact, there's two kinds of masks. There's like a paper sort of rectangular one. Mm -hmm. But things can get under that mask very easily. It's not snug. And then there's something called the N95, which is the white one, sort of like a cone almost. But even then, in a healthcare setting, you get evaluated for fit. Mm-hmm. And you go through all sorts of tests to make sure that that mask is snug. In everyday world, you know, you just don't have that ability to get fit for the mask. But if you are sick, they do recommend that you wear a mask. And again, that's because of the sneezing and coughing and the respiratory droplets. Right. 
Jeremy? One thing I was going to mention is just, I mean, the basic precautions are still so important, which is covering your cough, preventing touching your face, stay at home if you're sick. On the way here for this broadcast, I saw a man, an old man at a bus stop, and he did the right thing, which is covering his cough. He, he sneezed into his elbow, and then he immediately took his right hand and wiped his nose, mm. which invalidated everything he just tried to do to prevent contamination and, you know, getting any of the virus or, or you know, material on his hand that he could then spread. So you have to kind of do all of these things at once. I and mean, they're simple precautions, but you need to be mindful of them. Right. I mean, I came into this room this morning and wiped everything down. And then I, once I touched something that I did the hand sanitizer again, and then I touched something else, I did the hand sanitizer. I mean, I'm sort of getting very anxious about this, as I imagine a lot of people are. Are we just right to be that anxious? Or is there a point at which maybe that, you know, you're taking it too far? Well, if you just, you know, whatever you touch, if you then don't touch your face, and then go wash your hands with ordinary soap, you know, for setting aside the, the sanitizer or alcohol wipes or whatever you might use. If you just don't touch your face, then go wash your hands. That is an effective strategy, too. So you don't have to constantly be on the lookout. But if you wash your hands frequently and, and stop touching your face so that anytime you come in contact with, you know, suspect material, the, it won't get into your system. Okay. Do you all have, like, tricks of how to abide by this? We can't have our health reporters sidelined, so we need you, we need you, <laughs> we need you healthy. So, or, or like, are there special things you've figured out. A lot of people are having trouble not touching their faces, for example. You, you have to evaluate the risk. And the greatest risk is infection from respiratory droplets, as well as the potential of getting infected, as Jeremy said, by touching your face, which I want to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we all want to, yeah. <laughs> the, the risk by touching surfaces overall is low. Mm-hmm. So if you treat every low-risk situation as a high-risk situation, you're just going to get too anxious. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've got to modulate, I think. I think that's good advice. So it's about the sneezing and coughing and, and you know, people who are expelling lots of uh, fluid right. <laughs> from, their, from their nose or their mouth. Right. And that's why they keep emphasizing at the health department, if you're sick, stay at home. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not COVID-19, you mm-hmm. know, it, it could be a cold or it could be the flu. They just don't want sickness being spread mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. If I can add a component of this is, you know, people can't stay this amped up all the time and on heightened alert. They're going to get depressed, anxious, fatigued. That's a real concern, what's called mitigation fatigue, that after weeks of this, people are going to become less compliant or they're just going to get really stressed out. So you have to kind of forgive yourself a little bit. If you touch your face, you know, and you just washed your hands, it's like, you know what, you're okay. You didn't, there's no possible chance from that moment of time that you gained it, you know, infected anyone, you know, so forgive yourself, do the best you can, but you need to keep it in perspective and and, and live your life so that you don't face this burnout because we do need people to be vigilant for the long term, but it can't be such a heightened state of anxiety that it, it ends up being counterproductive. Great. Well, Glenn and Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like we got a lot of great info today about pretty much the only thing that anyone is talking about at the moment. So there was no better episode to do right now, I think. And I feel like we're all a little bit smarter from uh, from getting some of your expertise. So thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Listeners, if you want to delve even deeper into the details of coronavirus, I suggest you read our Frequently Asked Questions page that is regularly being updated with new information. 
I will leave a link to it in the show notes. The Star Tribune has dropped its paywall for coronavirus coverage, so you can keep up to date on this topic without being a subscriber. So I suggest you take a look at StarTribune.com because our newsroom is working very hard to keep the public informed. If you have other questions relating to coronavirus or have been wondering about something else while you are isolated in your home, please drop us a line. Record it using the Voice Recorder app on your phone and email it to curious at StarTribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>